From the Public Library in Princeton, New Jersey, this is a special edition of the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi again, Alan. Uh, Good morning, Fred. Boy, is it a good morning. We've had a a really eventful morning. This is a special edition following a public forum in Princeton to explore the possibility of transit on demand in Princeton, conducted by the nonprofit community group Princeton Future. And joining us are several of the participants here besides you, Alan. We've got uh, Maury Cohn, a Princeton resident and professor of sustainability studies at the New Jersey Institute of Technology. Also from NJIT, uh, Reggie Caudill, professor at the Martin Tuckman School of Management, and Sheldon Sturgis, co-founder of Princeton Future. Thank you all for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, let's start off with a, a little explanation, maybe from you, Sheldon, uh, being co-founder of Princeton Future. What Princeton Future is all about? Uh, Princeton Future is about listening, Uh, We try and uh, advertise our meetings very broadly, and we try and bring people that actually know things to the table to explain to the residents of town what could be, what would be good, what would be bad. And we had a very good first start at that, and I need to thank Alan and Reggie uh, in particular for working so hard. This has been a a three-year project in development, and... um, Without Alan's energy and Reggie's goodwill, uh, we wouldn't have been able to do this this morning. Alan, let me turn to you for for one second. Uh, We've talked often in in discussing smart driving cars, the future of autonomous vehicles, how important it is to get community involvement from the get-go to create what you call a welcoming environment. So tell us about this gathering that we had here today. Yeah, yes, uh, I think it's absolutely important. Uh, this isn't going to be um, uh, an Uber type of thing in which it comes into a community and and then they say, lawyer up, uh, uh, take it or leave it, uh, whatever. And uh, uh, Or seemingly what's been happening with scooters and they just come into the community and all of a sudden get strewn all, all over the place. Uh, I think here we we really want to make sure that, in fact, the community uh, understands uh, what the opportunities are, understands what their risks are, uh, understands uh, um, uh, what's at stake, and and comes comes to the table and says, yes, uh, this looks like it's a good thing for us to try, and let's see if we can go down that road and really welcome it. Uh, Without that welcoming, it could be so uh, easily undermined uh, that uh, there's no use having a a test that is doomed to failure. Uh, The opportunity here is is to get it started uh, with community involvement, with community appreciation, because it's the community that's going to use it, and it's the community that's going to benefit from it. And uh, while we're talking about Princeton... I guess we could be talking about any community in this country. Any community in this country. I mean, uh, 
you look at what happened uh, to poor Amazon when they tried to do a second headquarters in Queens. They they forgot to talk to the community. Uh, they had every all the uh, people in leadership in, involved, uh, even throwing money at it. But they they failed to, to deal with the community and and the, the sociology of this thing is really important. It, it's 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 not the technology that's important. It's a, it's the socio- sociology. It's the quality of life, um, and of course, it's the environmental implications of all this. Reggie, that's one of the things that you spoke about today was earning trust. Tell us more. In order for someone to to want to ride these vehicles, you you have to have a level of trust uh, that basically says that the the value that I'm going to get from making this trip, the benefits from riding this vehicle are going to far exceed whatever risk and cost that I was uh, would impair. And I think that's, that's the important aspect in terms of building a welcoming environment is building the trust between the technology and the, and the individuals in the community. We heard a lot of questions here, and it seems like there's a lot of work to do, especially with some individuals, when it comes to earning trust. It, it's a, it's a, trust is a personal connection that you make. Uh, but you can gain from others' experience and you can continue to realize that the value of, of my participation is, is well worth the, the, the riding of the vehicles and, and the trust that you have to put in in terms of the risk associated with that. Maury, let me turn to you. and tell, tell us, first of all, a little bit about some of the work that you do with sustainability studies because obviously there's going to be relevance here. Well, thank you, and thanks for the opportunity. Um, Most of my background over the last 25 years has been in developing the field of sustainable consumption, which is an issue that first came to prominence um, during the 1992 Rio Earth Summit, uh, one of the most contentious chapters of the document that came to be known as Agenda 21, was focused on the importance of consumption reduction, especially in the affluent countries of the world. And this is an issue that comes up on a regular basis in international uh, dialogue and in uh, various uh, global agreements like the Paris Climate Accord. Accord. Um, So how we operationalize consumption reduction and recognize that there's a connection between the way in which we consume and our overall lifestyles and well-being um, is a fraught and politically contentious uh, area of consideration. Um, But uh, to bring things around to the conversation we're having here today, uh, mobility and transportation is a form of consumption. Um, It's a way in which we meet uh, certain social and psychological and uh, economic needs. Uh, And um, um, I think one of the points that uh, that requires uh, significant consideration um, is that the future is the result of the way in which societal systems and technological systems co-evolve. Um, and that uh, any consideration of uh, the deployment of autonomous vehicles needs to be uh, connected to uh, uh, a vision of the future that is cognizant of, uh, of how we will likely work, how we will likely recreate, uh, how we will organize our households and our families, um, and that uh, future forms of mobility will be inextric- inextricably connected up with, uh, with all of those uh, routines and patterns. I think you described yourself as a cautious optimist when it comes to this technology. Well, uh, um, I mean, perhaps by virtue of the fact that I, uh, I work in a, uh, an engineering-intensive university, 
Uh, I'm one of a very small handful of, uh, of social scientists at that institution. Uh, and um, I think we would make a grave mistake um, if we buried our heads in the, uh, in the technological sand. Um, that we live in a world that is uh, inspired by scientific and technological um, uh, innovation. Um, and yet uh, those processes of innovation um, need to be coupled with our societal aspirations. Uh, and it's oftentimes difficult to, uh, to bridge that divide between the social and the technological, uh, but that's also what makes one of these kinds of projects so fascinating and interesting. Sheldon, let me turn to, to you once again. And, and obviously you can chime in anytime you want, Alan. But the community of Princeton, uh, how does this get sold to the residents as, as being a good idea, something that's needed, something that they should want? Uh, my understanding of the community of Princeton is that when you present new thoughts properly by people who actually know things, the community will respond with a resounding yes. What happens with every new idea in town is that initially 20% are against it, 20% are for it, and what happens if you have enough community conversation is that people decide eventually that they don't like the guys on that side and they don't like the guys on the other side and they come to the center and you get an agreement and it works and it happened here in the development of this square. Well this was an initial meeting what do you feel and I'm going to turn to each of you the same question what do you feel were some of the key takeaways from what you heard today? I think there's a uh, there was a misunderstanding that this is this meeting was sort of pre-baked a little bit, and that's, as far as we're concerned, because I've been part of Alan's conversations for quite a long time, that's very far from the truth. We are really at the very early stages of sounding people out and what they would like and what they need, and uh, there was one woman in particular who stood up and made a very uh, poignant uh, statement about... Uh, being elderly and elderly husband and how this would really help her and her needs. And I think that's maybe where we uh, get a initial traction is to the group of people who, whose children are about to take the keys away from them. And uh, they really need this. They need it to go to the hairdresser. They need, to, uh, need it to go to the doctor. They need it to get shopping, visit friends. And... Uh, I think we can get serious traction quick, quickly with that group in particular. Reggie, what do you feel uh, some of the key takeaways were here? I, I think there were a couple of issues. Uh, one, I think we need to pay a lot of attention to the integration of this technology in with the existing investments that have been made in transit. Um, the Dinky Station, New Jersey Transit, uh, other other points where we can connect and, and amplify uh, the, the public transportation system here in New Jersey. So I think that's one issue. Um, I, th I think the other is that there was a lot of interest in, in trips beyond just Princeton itself, uh, and which says, uh, you know, they like the technology, there's an opportunity there. Uh, we need to think uh, in phases and where it may go and to give uh, a little more concrete a response to those uh, who want to utilize this technology and mobility 
uh, to take trips that are outside of, of the original Princeton area. Which raises the question of uh, jurisdictions and who says yes, yep. who says no, and kind of muddies the waters. A bit. Oh, oh, it does. <laughs> it does. Uh, I, th- I think you get, getting back to trust, uh, you know, trust is earned. You start with, uh, with making a success in terms of a small uh, demonstration and small deployment, and then you grow from that. Uh, so I think that's a way to be able to extend out beyond just the, uh, the domain of the Princeton community itself. One thing I'd like to add is that the shopping center here has been very forward-looking uh, and has offered to uh, create parking spaces and charging stations for uh, these vehicles when the time comes. And I think that's a, a very good first step. Let me turn to you, uh, uh, Maury, uh, for your perspective on, on what you feel the key takeaways were. I think it was a very um, powerful affirmation of the effectiveness of public participation. Um, it's oftentimes difficult to um, mobilize people, especially as we've had here today on early hour on a Saturday morning, um, to come and engage in a process um, of, uh, of public um, uh, planning and, and public policy making uh, for which there is a somewhat amorphous goal. Um, so um, this was the first stage of what will be a um, long and presumably extended process. Um, and it was uh, really wonderful for me to see that there were so many people. We had a room here of probably um, four or five dozen people uh, who came with their convictions and their passions and their visions of the future. Um, and, um, and it will be a, a fascinating process to watch it unfold as how this these multifarious understandings of what the future um, in its most desirable sense might look like, um, how that comes, into, comes together um, as part of a, of a reasonably coherent um, plan. So uh, this is, uh, you know, when, when, when one studies uh, urban and regional planning as a student, um, there's a tendency to, to sort of glorify and to some degree um, you know, elevate these, these kinds of processes, but they're extraordinarily difficult um, in many communities to, um, to, uh, to galvanize. Um, but um, that was certainly not the case here today. Uh, it was really quite um, 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 uh, affirming to sort of see this process uh, uh, occur. Really a lively discussion. And, and Alan, the takeaways for you. Uh, yes, I agree uh, with that. <clears throat> this was a very good meeting of uh, the community. Uh, you know, we didn't have elected officials here. We didn't have. Uh, we didn't even have the central planners, if they even exist. The, the head of the planning board. Was uh, here. Although the head of the planning board was here, so uh, yes, we did have some. But uh, but but most importantly, I, I mean, we had we had the community, we had people, and we had people who have certain convictions and so on. I think that um, there's also, uh, to me, there there's there. This is the first one, so of course there was a lot of misunderstanding. The the Sunday supplements have just made these things uh, be as if uh, we either own them or uh, or there are things of the super rich or something like that, where in fact, uh, you know, uh, this is, uh, this is mass, this is 
mass transit, uh, it, it, mass because it's for everybody, it's transit because it moves people. It, it's not just, it, but it's not buses, it's not a route that runs sometime. It's, and, and, and the thought of the, this technology and this opportunity is that, in fact, it might be operated by a private entity and be affordable to everybody without subsidy. I mean, it's a concept that nobody has in mind when they think of of mass transit or public transit. They think it, you know, it has to be, you know, government supported and have a subsidy and 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 be losing a bunch of money and all that stuff and therefore whatever and and so. Um, and that's the reason why we bring it to this community. This is an opportunity for for to have apparently what we'd like to have, which is have 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 a system that that provides this mobility that's affordable and 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 is actually just as good as us owning a car, if not better. And then we aren't going to have to own a car and, and, and then basically use it. And, of course, the, the element that we were really trying to bring out here had to do with the opportunity to, to share and to share the ride. And, and, and to out of that, uh, just uh, all of a sudden uh, obtain some, some sus- sustainability uh, goals uh, almost, you know, trivially because, you know, why... Why is it so polluting the cars? Because we're in there by ourselves. Why are we in there by ourselves? Is because we have to drive ourselves, and we can't afford to pay anybody else to drive us. And and we don't. And we've had no opportunity to ride with anybody. And these are these are concepts that are just um, just not um, you know well un, well understood yet. So this is the first of many meetings that we're going to have for people to uh, begin to. Um, See, or is is this a real opportunity, or or am I wacky somehow in in terms well, of looking at it this way? Where would you envision this this going? Is it is it a process where you have several meetings and then you go to a company like Waymo or or GM or, or, or another and say, hey, we've been talking about this. Come on in. Well, I think I think I think we have many more meetings. I think uh, you know Waymo can't come in here and have the meetings. If Waymo came in here and had the meetings, it would have been, I don't know, GM came in here or you know. Uh, Daimler or Mercedes or something. Everybody would have thought, "What the? You know, what are these guys trying to sell us?" Maybe I don't know. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe not. But I, I don't think that. I think the community. But think, that's how I, it's I, happened I, in many that, other communities. That, that's how it's happened in many other communities, and that's what we're trying to do different. And that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to do it in the neighboring communities of West Windsor. Uh, we're going to go down. We, we're going to learn from what we did today. And we're going to go down and do it in Trenton, which could. Which I believe could really benefit from this and really turn help turn that town around. We'll go up and do it in Newark. Uh, Newark, even though it has, you know, in terms of having very good public transportation, Jersey Transit style, it has very good, but yet has enormous number of people having to use a car, and and so uh, in fact that could probably be uh, be, be improved uh, substantially, and also one of the. One of the things we heard over and over today is that, yeah, it'd be nice to have it to move move people around in Princeton, but I'd also like to go to the neighboring communities, to the functions and things that happen in neighboring communities, course, right. and they want to see it. It's transportation, and they want to see it expanded. So, so I I took it 
very, very positively. We also gave them green pins and red pins for them to put on a map, on a map, their location, their house, and they could indicate whether or not they would want that, they would mind having this uh, run down their street or not or not want to uh, using their street green if they if, if if it was okay red if they didn't i don't think any red pins were used i was amazed i think most of the people here uh, and even one uh, woman stood up and said my goodness as a community we, we should be looking to embrace such things and not uh, keep them from from our street so don't i put took those that, red pins out there <laughs> uh, well she she actually said don't even give people red pins i i which which is a really nice outcome. I guess the, the, the shorter answer is we need to have many more of these things. We need to get ourselves prepared. We need to come together, uh, as Sheldon has, has said, uh, come together with whatever our vision is. And then we need to go and, and talk to the folks who will bring the, who could, who have the opportunity to bring the technology that delivers what we, what we design. I think we go to them. I think if we go to them, uh, geez, they're all, I think they'll be, they're looking for places where they'll be successful. We want we want to we want to determine our definition of success, and then go ask them: Are you able to deliver this? Because we're going to hold your, your feet to the fire and make sure that you deliver what we want in our community. We don't want you coming in here and telling us what we want for our community. I'd just like to add that uh, Princeton Future has been very focused on two words: inclusion and sustainability. And what Alan has done, for me anyway, is shown to me that this technology can really bring forward those two words as, as a very important ingredient uh, to our future. Uh, much of the early uh, conversation about automated vehicles was that the kids can play uh, video games and you can join them and the car will drive itself on your vacation or uh, uh, the fancy guys can go along the Autobahn and, and do their stuff while the car drives itself. Alan's vision is a lot different than that. Mobility for all. Uh, mobility primarily focused on those that need mobility the most. And that, I think, is a wonderful focus for this, and it's a way to, uh, for the car companies to rethink what they're trying to do. Uh, Reggie and, and Maury, uh, you want to add what your thoughts are here? And maybe were, were there any things that you heard today that surprised you, any of the concerns or comments? I, I was, was really surprised at the, the engagement and the interaction from the various members of the, of the community and stepping up and really voicing their opinions of what they perceive as their mobility needs and, and I think that will help us to shape really how we take this next step. And so I, I thought it was a fantastic meeting today. Um, and, and hats off to Alan uh, and to Sheldon for pulling this, this together. Um, it was, I thought it was a fantastic start for our community. Maury? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned before that uh, I described myself as a, as a cautious optimist. Um, I would sort of build on that a little bit um, and um, 
and observe that um, that the discussion needs to be placed um, not just within the context of different technological alternatives, um, but it needs to also be cast um, in terms of um, of, uh, of other co-evolving technologies, as we talked about. Um, it needs to be cast in terms of, uh, of social aspirations for the future. It needs to be cast in terms of other um, macro-scale um, shifts that are occurring in, the, um, in the, 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 the conditions that shape and frame our lives. Um, so um, there's radical changes occurring in terms of how people will earn a living. Um, radical changes taking place with respect to how people will raise a family, um, and that um, that mobility is a means that is very much connected to those um, other kinds of patterns and uh, routines for developing a lifestyle. So um, um, it would be interesting, I think, to have a have a conversation at the community level, like we had here today. Um, where we ask questions about what people envision their lifestyles and livelihoods to look like um, a decade or two or three or longer uh, periods of time into the future, um, and then sort of fit mobility into that puzzle um, after we've sketched out what the larger context might look like. Alan, uh, one of the things that we heard uh, from, a, from several participants was a concern about privacy, a concern about security, a concern about why do I have to have a, a, a smartphone, even? And, <laughs> yeah. and I don't know how you grapple with something like that. Well, I, I think uh, that was part, probably part of our problem because we we sort of, uh, I mean, I, I think that the that the apps uh, that uh, Uber and Lyft have developed, uh, you know, are absolutely fantastic and probably are the best apps ever delivered, uh, ever made. But, uh, but uh, you know, we sort of said that you would uh, summon this with, with, an, with an app uh, on a phone. Well, how else then, would you do it? Well, I mean, there's a, key, there's a kiosk there. You could... Well, sure. I mean, how do you summon an elevator? You push a button, you know? I mean, there, there are lots of other ways in, uh, to do this w without... Without the phone, uh, and uh, and so uh, you know, I think we uh, we are a little bit blindsided by that one, but uh, but I think I think, uh, I think uh, putting maybe may a way to pay at the kiosk well, as well with pay cash. With cash, <laughs> yeah, and but this is going to be so inexpensive, uh, you know, uh, 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 or some sort of coupon or whatever, or uh, but there are the, there are the privacy issues associated with this. You know, one of the key elements in terms of our lifestyle i mean right now you know the the, the view is is that we're in a car by ourselves driving ourselves you know we'd like to have this thing being shared why for for just environmental reasons but the other i think there's social reasons uh, you might interact with the person that, that's there but how do you put the right few people in the vehicles together is that an invasion of privacy so that you take so that you make sure that the people are compatible and not incompatible? Which well, you I didn't do. hear a lot of objections to the idea of ride sharing. Which we heard no objections to yeah. ride sharing. Yeah. It was amazing. I thought I thought everybody would say, oh, I'm not sharing a ride with anybody. But I, I, it was amazing. So, and, and I, 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 yeah, I, th I think um, you know the big picture ideas. 
was what we were trying to, to really make sure that people understood and appreciated and, and could comment on. Uh, but the level of details in, in these, these, these individual areas, uh, I mean, it's, it's absolutely necessary to consider them to be successful. But I think, so I think maybe the people are further along in embracing the technology and so put the technology aside. I, I think that's, uh, that's, uh, I think problems, that's, right? uh, that's a good thought on it. I think they, they, were, they were ahead of us in, in that, although you know, in some aspects of the technological details they weren't, but that's, forget about it. We, di we didn't try to, to really uh, uh, present the technological details. We didn't talk about, we certainly, the word LIDAR wasn't even mentioned. It was great. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I mean, LIDAR is so irrelevant. I mean, uh, nor was level one, level two. Nor, <laughs> I, and no levels. I mean, it was so, it was great because of that. I mean, I was I was just I was a big smile on my face. Well, like riding an elevator, I know which buttons yeah, to push. So. Yeah, you know. So, uh, Reggie, Maury, Sheldon, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to continue our, our discussion here, but thank you very much. Thank you. Great, thank you. Alan, we have a couple of other headlines we want to touch upon. Uh, number one. Morgan Stanley analysts have lowered their valuation of Alphabet's Waymo by 40% to $105 billion. The analysts wrote, we underestimated how long safety drivers are likely to be present within cars and the timing of the rollout of autonomous ride-sharing services, we un that they underestimated all of that. Well, I mean, that's all because of the Elaine Herzberg uh, 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 crash and, and her death by by Uber. I mean, it's it cost Uber sixty billion. I guess it looks like it's costing Waymo uh, seventy billion. Uh, um, that's that's um, uh, yes. They still have the value at one hundred and five Bs. That's and they've yet they've yet to generate a dollar of revenue. Okay, uh, at least as far as I know, they in in, in their California operation, uh, they they are not allowed to charge, and uh, and in uh, Arizona, I don't believe they're charging. And this follows a video, uh, which I think is showed here, uh, put out by Waymo that showed the reaction of riders experiencing autonomy, uh, many for the first time. The video did not show any attendance on board, but we kind of know they were there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> At least we uh, think so. Well, I, I'm I'm just too cynical. I, if there weren't attendants on board, and they are really in Phoenix, back doing this without attendants on board, then uh, Morgan Stanley is going to increase their valuation back up to 175. That's that would be my my thought on that. That would be monumental. Because basically, um, after the Herzberg crash uh, by Uber, uh, everybody put attendance back in. And, um, and uh, as long as attendance are in there, this is just tests. It's not a business. It doesn't, it doesn't have the opportunity uh, to make even five cents. Economically, it's, it's, it's dead. It is, it is a conventional mass transit. It'll lose money. Um, uh, but uh, without an attendant on board, that's the opportunity. And if they're doing it, it must mean that the system really does work.
because, of course, the reason why they put the attendants back in is because they wanted to make sure that another Elaine Herzberg crash wouldn't occur. And, um, and uh, they know whether or not there are disengagements in every one of their rides. Uh, you know, in July, they, Waymo's reported to the, to the Public Utilities Commission in California that they served, uh, what, 6,200 rides uh, with their system. Uh, they know whether or not there were any disengagements in those rides. Uh, I'm sure with every disengagement, all the data goes back and there are teams of people that, that fix the code so that there aren't going to be disengagements. Or if, if it's a place where a street that is just too difficult to handle, uh, they just won't drive down that street. Or it's a situation, weather or otherwise, uh, that they just won't do it, won't let it happen. Uh, so that, in fact, they can pull that attendant out of there and then actually uh, uh, deliver the profits uh, that, uh, that uh, support the valuation, be it 105 or 175 big ones. And, of course, the, the purpose of the video is to show that uh, this stuff is cool, fun, etc. Well, the purpose of the video is to show that I think I think that it works, and that and they 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 don't they don't mention attendance, and you look inside and you see that there doesn't seem to be any attendance. Somebody was I ducking. I don't. <laughs> well, I hopefully not. Hopefully they didn't cheat. Hopefully they aren't using uh, mirrors uh, to 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 point out what they're actually delivering. Uh, they. The but mirror, they would be telling us if they were doing this without attendance, I would think. Well, I, I, that was sort of my initial well, They should thought. be telling Morgan Stanley. Uh, they, <laughs> well, maybe, maybe they should, or maybe it's none of our business. Or maybe what they don't want to do is even point out the issue that there would be an attendant in there in the first place. So in some sense, almost, you know, uh, bringing up the issue of attendant implies that uh, either they're defensive about it in some sense. So, yes, I know I've sort of indicated that maybe if there wasn't an attendant, they would have told us. But, but no, they, they, they might need to tell me because I'm focused on attendance. But there is nobody in this room that was focused on attendance today. There are none of the riders. I mean, uh, and, and apparently the people were riding it. If there was an attendant on board, the attendant was, was not, not prominent, not part of what was being there. And, and if there are no disengagements, then they don't need an attendant. And so, therefore, um, we're good. Now, Hyundai and Aptiv have set up a $4 billion self-driving car venture. So this is another step, another car maker. Yeah, it's another car maker and so on. Although, you know, one wonders whether or not Aptiv is really interested in driverless uh, without attendance to provide mobility as a service. Uh, in other words, public transportation. Uh, they're You know, they're doing it the technology, uh, maybe just to create, you know, 
Tesla autopilots, you know, for Hyundai, uh, you know, self-driving so that they can continue to uh, sell uh, their Hyundais in showrooms to consumers and uh, and buy self-driving, which is, uh, as we've discussed many times, very different uh, than providing driverless mobility services for a community like Princeton. Well, you said the magic word, Tesla. <laughs> and uh, Elon Musk's uh, email leak uh, indicates they have a shot at delivering a record 100,000 vehicles this quarter. Yeah, I mean, again, and I keep saying, I, you know, in part, these vehicles are being sold because they have autopilot. Why? Because uh, that really improves the safety and uh, and improves the the. Uh, the comfort and convenience and uh, people right now, what do they, they, they don't have uh, the opportunity to, to uh, have mobility as a service uh, because the, the driverless vehicles aren't out there. So, um, you know, that's the situation we're in. Another little headline relevant to what we uh, saw take place here today. Uh, there was a study done by Audi for Audi across multiple countries that showed some differences globally and how much public interest there is in self-driving technology. Uh, it found that in China and South Korea, the enthusiasm level is at 98 and 94 percent. In Japan and the U.S., the numbers fell to 74, 72 percent. I mean, the surveys, they're so early and it's so dependent on how it's described. And any survey that gets a 98% return... That's uh, China. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, I guess that's a communist country. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Moving on. Our, our friend Michael Senna is out with another edition of the Dispatcher Newsletter with the lead headline, Deciders Will Decide If or When Driverless Arrives. Yeah, and, and another, great uh, newsletter. another great newsletter. Michael is such a good writer. I, I think, um, you know, everybody should read it. it. It's just a good expose. And, and of course, uh, that's why we were here, uh, you know, with the community. It's the community that's going to decide. Nobody's going to go out there and deploy this. Uh, if, if folks don't use it, guess what? <laughs> or if folks say, don't come down my street, guess what? It's not going to happen. And from the newsletter's half-baked section, Ford is launching autonomous car testing in Austin, and they have some concerns about the numbers of scooters in the, in the city. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know. And so, you know, the issue is, is uh, they really, uh, you know, going to go there and what are they going to do? And I just put it in there as a, sort of an interesting little uh, tidbit uh, now scooters now we have scooters to worry about some final thoughts alan about what we saw take place here in in princeton today i i think it was just wonderful to have uh, you know just people from the community come out to discuss uh, in in a community context uh, what is important to their community. And, and the, so the way you broke is, this down was neighborhood by neighborhood, uh, groups of tables. Here, neighborhood by neighborhood, we wanted them. To, again, uh, I'm, uh, maybe I'm overly concerned about the, uh, the welcoming. Uh, we need these things to be welcomed. Uh, uh, and they need to be welcomed 
at the grassroots, at the neighborhood level. We can't afford to have not in my backyard folks come in and into and, and meetings and, and, and later on, you know, and say, we did get this out of my community and so on and so forth. And we need, we need to, and we have the opportunity to, to shape this and design it so that it is, it is a, a, a welcomed by the community. This isn't, uh, you know, designed, baked in already. We're at the very beginning of all this. That nobody comes in and says, here's what we're doing. Your opinion doesn't matter. Uh, right. Oh, not that, of course, they won't say your opinion doesn't matter, but, but, they, that's they, but that's the implication. Here, you know, we were here completely open. Uh, the, the, what we wanted, we came here to listen. We didn't focus on on the techno jerko details, except for the 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 mobility that would be provided and 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 uh, what the what the usability experience would be, as opposed to uh, you know whether what the AI was and deep learning this and all that sort of other stuff. And this wasn't a, a corporate organized thing. This wasn't a government organized <laughs> thing, which no, makes it so not amazing. A, not at all. Not at all. It, Sheldon and I did it. Thank you, Sheldon. Well, that wraps up this special edition of the podcast. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com. Also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and more. You can even ask your smart speaker to play us. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you so much for listening.